The following episode deals with topics of pandemic and natural disaster. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Orion Cooling. And I'm Zach Meyer. And this is Shadow Carriers. Shadow Carriers is a curated collection of disturbia assembled by two lifelong storytellers, sonically mixed to bring you into the darkness and out again. We invite you to sit with us in the shaft of moonlight and, if you're brave enough, to step into the shadow with us. It was just after midnight when the sound of the silver Prius's tires could be heard crunching their way over wet gravel and dirt. Dull headlights swung round, piercing through the low-hanging fog of the New Orleans evening to illuminate the words above the black steel gates. Charity Hospital Cemetery. The driver of the car pulled up alongside the curb, setting the vehicle into park. He reached over, punching the button to activate the hazard lights. The illumination blinked on and off, briefly through the gloom that surrounded him, while a steady clink-clink, clink-clink, clink-clink resounded in the car. Reaching forward, he turned off the dulcet tones of Alan Toussaint, WWOZ's artist spotlight of the evening. Then he shifted his focus to the passenger seat. There sat a well-worn wooden box, nothing decorative about it, except for two small fleur-de-lis on the rusty hinges. Picking the box up, he cradled it in one arm as he popped the car door open. For a New Orleans evening, it was surprisingly cool out tonight, and that humidity makes the cold seep directly into your bones. He zipped up his fleece, pulled his cap down a little further over his forehead, before making his way towards his destination. A local authority awaited him at the entrance to the cemetery, eyeing him as he approached. Evening. The officer didn't say anything. Even in New Orleans, some people didn't quite know how to deal with those that worked with the occult and the proverbial other side. The man just looked him over, nodded, then opened the gate for him with an audible piercing creak. For the second time that day, the medium crossed the threshold of Charity Hospital Cemetery. It was an unsettling dark area. Only a bit of overspill from a nearby street lamp provided any means of illumination, but that was all right. There wasn't much to see, anyways. Just an open field. Nothing more. Just a seemingly large plot of patchy, muddy grass. It was quite unlike what most tourists might expect from a New Orleans cemetery. The poetically named Cities of the Dead. In such a place, like the popular St. Louis cemeteries, you would often find yourself surrounded by acres of hauntingly beautiful above-ground mausoleums. But not at this one. He'd been there earlier that day an invite from one of the local politicians. Turns out they were looking to turn the land into a bus stop. In fact, they'd already started working on the specifications of the plan to be presented to the city at the upcoming meeting. Just this afternoon, this place had been crawling with archaeologists, surveyors, scientists, local authorities, and coordinators. In fact, the blue tarps they'd hung along the fence to keep prying eyes away were still there, occasionally rustling in the cool night air. A wise choice, really. The savvy politicians wouldn't want it getting out, the kind of things they were finding. The man clutched the box a bit closer against him as he slowly lowered himself down to his knees with a grunt. 
Setting the box on the ground before him, he rubbed his hands, blew warm breath into them a few times before reaching forward and releasing the little flirtily catches. The lid popped open, and he eased it back further. Inside, there were the usual objects of his particular trade, a deck of tarot cards, some sage, a vial of holy water, various candles and matches, a pendulum, and an item wrapped in silk, sitting at the very top of it all. The man delicately picked the silk-swathed item from the box and set it onto the ground in front of him. He pulled the layers of the fabric carefully aside, breathing in slow and deep when he revealed what lay beneath. Hey, look, I'm sorry. I didn't know what it was until they already given it to me. I want to make sure I got it back safely, though, so I kept it. There'd been a commotion earlier that day. On the far end of the field, as he stood there, speaking with a politician that had summoned him, they'd both look up, just in time to see one of the surveyors chasing a stray dog off the premises. The canine dropped something as he fled, and the man picked it up, approaching them with a frustrated sigh and shake of his head. They keep coming out here just grabbing whatever they can. That's the third one I've chased off this week. Here, maybe you know what to do with it. The surveyor, likely thinking him one of the archaeologists, slapped the item into his palm before turning away on his heel. When he looked down, he was only mildly shocked to see a human bone rested there. Of course, it was a human bone. The cemetery was said to be the final resting place of up to 150,000 souls. 150,000 bodies and ashes crammed beneath this simple field. One on top of another and another. The earth here must be practically bursting at the seams with the dead that it sheltered. No surprise at all, really, that the local strays might find some interesting foraging to be done. The man looked up, breathing deeply as he surveyed the empty field in front of him. He reached back into his box, withdrawing a deck of tarot cards from within. If you want to show me where it goes, I'm happy to put it back. Just uh, point me in the right direction. The field lay still. The blue tarp crinkled in the breeze. The dim flickering of his car's hazards lit the fog around him. No. Nothing. Okay, well, we have all night, so you just, uh, you let me know when you're ready. He tapped the cards out of their well-worn box with practice ease into his palm. The cards always felt right in his hands, fitting so perfectly like they belonged. He gave them a few shuffles, his eyes surveying the area around him. Right, well, look here, I know there's been a lot of commotion around here lately, and probably quite a bit more than used to. People walking back and forth, crossed all day long, standing around, talking like you're not even there. So I'm sure it's very frustrating, I get that. News is, the, the thinking about building a bus stop right here. So yeah, there's a, a few streets that people have got to cross to get the bus stop safely. That's already there, right? So that fella is out here today, the one you probably saw me talking to, he just wants to make sure it's safer for people to get to the buses, that's all. So... You know, that's what's been going on so far. As his hands absentmindedly shuffled the cards, one card fell from the deck and down onto the bone in front of him. Glancing down, he turned the card over to reveal the Seven of Wands. He nodded thoughtfully. But uh, there seems to be some uh, issues with the plan so far. See, there's been a few people who have been run out of the cemetery and refused to return. Something about dark shadows walking around, voices, things touching them and pushing them. 
making a racket all hours of the night with all their cries. Don't suppose you might know anything about any of that, would you? But only darkness. No sounds. No movement. The man nodded again, continuing to shuffle the tarot deck slowly. Right, well, look, they call me in because they think I might be able to help. I do have a certain gift I've been able to harness that allows me to speak to these folks who've already crossed over. So, when they want to, that is. They asked me to come out here myself and do a little surveillance, get an understanding of what might be going on here. Do you think we could do that together? The stillness that met him would have been laughable to anyone else observing the scene, but there was a certain energy he could sense in the air like that feeling you get before a proper New Orleans storm lays in. Something a little electric, and a little bit dangerous. Despite himself, he couldn't help but give a slight smile. Right. Okay, so here's how I usually work. I have the deck of cards in my hands, and usually when I pull a card from the deck, I get a good sense of... That's not yours. You're not supposed to touch that. The psychic looked up. Startled to find the full apparition of a young girl's ghost standing just a few feet from him. Her clothing was tinged brown, sagging off her small frame. Her tiny sneakers were caked in mud. Arms were crossed over her thin chest, dark eyes staring at him, unblinking. The man slowly set down the cards he'd been holding and carefully lifted the bone from its place on the ground, still wrapped in silk. Is this yours? Can you show me where it came from? The child only stared at him. I want to return it to where it goes, but I need you to help me. Can you point me towards where you were put to rest? Frail arms melted down to her side, but still, she did not speak. All right, well, you let me know when you would like to share, because that's what I'm here for, to hear your stories, but you, uh, you just take your time. The man slowly set the bone down in front of him again. He reached for his deck of cards, moving carefully as to not upset the child's spirit. His eyes remained locked on hers, even as he began delicately shuffling through his cards. Is there anyone else who would like to speak with me? The cards trickled through his hands, one on top of another. The girl watched him, but remained silent. Maybe somebody could give me a little more information here on this bone? Hmm? Tell me who it belonged to? The cards fluttered with practice ease as he tapped the deck thoughtfully in his hands. There was something... He was beginning to sense it, something coming through, someone here who wanted to be acknowledged. He could feel them starting to press against the thin veil that separated this world from the next. All right, I hear you. Let's see what we got going on. He shuffled the deck with more focus this time, cutting it once, twice, a third time. He felt something drawing him to cut once more before he flipped the card on top to reveal the Two of Swords. And that was when he saw an additional specter emerge, standing a few feet away from where the child still looked on, a young woman, perhaps around her early twenties, black, lithe, wearing a worn apron and a handkerchief across the top of her head, but the thing that immediately drew his attention was a thin rivulet of blood running from both of her eyes in a macabre spill of tears down her dark cheeks. Yellow fever. Between 1817 and 1905, New Orleans was set upon by the deadly plague. In fact, yellow fever alone managed to wipe out 10% of the entire population. It was the epidemic that earned the city its nickname, Necropolis, City of the Dead. Because the disease was spread by mosquitoes, 
The warm, humid climate of New Orleans made it an ideal breeding ground, taking up to 8,000 victims in one year. And what a horrific way to go at that. First, there was the jaundice, the chills, followed by nausea, headaches, and fever, ultimately convulsions and outright delirium. And then, of course, there was the blood pooling from eyes, ears, and nose, ultimately leading to the victim essentially drowning in their own coagulation. But the man knew more about the social complexities of the disease and his expression softened with sympathy as he looked at the young woman. It was called the stranger's disease because it affected a large majority of the immigrant population, many of whom came to this country already with compromised immune systems. Because they were not brought up in this region, there was limited chance of reaching herd immunity. And he'd even read reports of immigrants trying to catch yellow fever, simply with the hopes that they might survive it and therefore be considered more hireable due to their immunity. But even worse than the effects on the immigrant population was that of the enslaved people. At that point, prominent doctors in the South were taking to spreading the lie that all black people had a natural immunity to yellow fever. Thus did the foul notion that black slavery was, to quote, natural, even humanitarian, allowed to slip into the cultural zeitgeist as it protected the white population from a deadly disease that they would have been vulnerable to, working in the hot climate of the plantations, acreage, and swamps of the bayou. It was a vile attempt at justifying slavery, though it certainly wouldn't be the last time such a pandemic had been used to justify prejudice. Sighing, the man shuffled through his tarot deck again. Can't imagine you're too happy with what's been going on around here. You think you might want to share some of your thoughts with me? He shuffled, cut, stacked, cut again, thumbed his finger thoughtfully over the cards before stopping, withdrawing the one where he landed, the Nine of Swords. Thought as much. I'm certainly appreciative of your time. He wanted to linger there a moment longer with her, but someone else was starting to press against the veil now, insistent on his attention. Yeah, no, I hear you. Just give me a sec, right? He shuffled the deck, cutting the cards, breathing deep and measured, tapping his fingertips thoughtfully against the worn paper before one card seemed to press itself into his palm, the Two of Wands. He looked up then, and where the young woman had been standing earlier, now there was a young man, several feet further away. He was looking at him with a deep scowl. But a quick scan of his physique, attire, and the ripplings of intuition that were starting to churn, the word vagabond popped into the forefront of his thoughts. Certainly not uncommon for New Orleans, no matter what the century. He glanced back down at the card in his hand, studying it, quietly opening himself to the spirit's energy, to whatever it would have him know. Ah. Murder then, was it? He looked back up, and was only mildly surprised to find that the man was now standing bare-chested a mere two feet from him. He moved without sound, but now he could make out the open, gaping wound that scarred his body. Gunshot. Blown through his torso. It would have been very common and understandable for any spirit whose life was cut short by another to still carry anger within them. And the anger was certainly palpable. But it wasn't because of the murder that had taken place. 
It was something else. He drew a card from the deck and suddenly something clicked. Ah, donation. Your body was donated, then was it? Without your consent, I presume? The vagrant's jaw shifted, clenching, fingers tightening into their balled-up grip. And the psychic could sense a word attempting to be pushed through to clarity. No, not a word, a phrase. He focused on the man, giving him his full attention as his elbows sat against his knees. He opened himself up, willing for the exclamation to come through. But when it did, he tilted his head in confusion. Holt Cemetery? No, sorry, friend. You got your places mixed up. You're in the Charity Hospital Cemetery. Oh, I see. So buried in Holt Cemetery after your murder, but then removed from that location. Grave robbers, was it? Looking to make coin by selling your remains to the hospital? Yeah. That, uh, I'm sorry. I can see how you might be feeling a bit restless. Did you have family that you were meant to lay alongside of? Damn, I'm sorry, brother. I would say I'll do what I can do to see your return, but I'm afraid finding you here will be like looking for a needle in a haystack. The spirit's angered face slowly faded from view, and the man felt a twinge of guilt that he'd not been able to provide a better measure of reassurance. He grimaced, but there were others now pushing against the veil, wishing to be heard, and he knew he would be unable to ignore them for long. Come on, step right up then. And they did. One spirit after another, stepping forward to part the veil that separated the world that lay beyond the living. Some were sad, some confused, some angry, some curious, each with a fairly strong opinion of the disturbances that had been caused in the recent weeks to their resting ground. The one place that felt sacred to them, where, despite having no gravestones wherein their loved ones could find them, they at least had some semblances of repose and peace. The stories of their life here on earth swirled through his consciousness, some kinder than others. He opened himself to them as he always did. Even if he could not soothe their souls, the least he could do was stand witness to their legacy and their memories, to bear them and carry them with him so they might not yet be forgotten. But as the night grew long, he found himself beginning to tire. He could sense that open door beginning to steadily close as his own energy dwindled. And yet, there remained one specter that still stood there, as she had since he had begun the ritual. Watching him, watching the others, dark eyes narrowed and thoughtful, curious and unafraid. He gave a stretch groaning at a tightness in his neck and lower back from sitting on the damp earth for so long. His fingers tiredly shuffled the deck once more before holding it upright in front of him. Well, what do you say? You've been standing over there all night scowling. You've seen how this works? What do you got to show me? I know you got something to say. The girl slowly tilted her head, eyeing him, her eyes seeming to dare him. Is this really what you want? Are you sure? Do you think you can take this energy on? Show me. She watched him as he held the cards in his upturned palm before shuffling the deck with precision and purpose, her dark eyes never leaving his face. He gave her a soft, welcoming smile as he fanned the deck in front of him like a magician might, then furled it away again with a similar flare. Pick a card. 
any card. He shuffled, stacked, cut, cut again, ran his fingertips across the edges until finally one single card drew his focus, and he threw it to the ground in front of him, to find the tower staring up at him, with its iconography of a burning building, a lightning strike, and a man and woman falling from the precipice to their death. And abruptly, a feeling of acidic bile rose in his throat as comprehension hit. Oh God, the storm. He could see it then, as though he was standing in the middle of that dingy, wood-paneled living room himself, brown, muddy water seeping underneath the door of the shotgun home, spreading across the aged carpet, growing an inch two inches he could see those small pristine white sneakers becoming damp he heard the sound of sloshing water saw a pair of strong arms lifting her small figure on top of a dresser a voice firmly telling her to stay in place while they went for help a door opening more water pouring in dark frightened brown eyes lifting to meet with his gaze even as the water continued to rise and rise and rise. What was a steady rivulet now, a churning pool, a child's voice, her voice, crying out for her papa, clutching tightly to the top of the dresser even as water continued to fill their home. He heard the sound of a window breaking, the wrathful noise of the Category 5 storm outside, drowning out her calls for help as the water poured in with unexpected fury unstoppable, enraged, violent, and deadly. There was suction beginning to pull at pieces of furniture now caught in the whirlpool, causing the dresser to shudder beneath her tiny form. Stop, please stop. I understand. Don't make me... The vision stopped, and he was suddenly in the open field once again. Sweating, shaking, heart pounding, attempting to breathe. All while she looked on, unblinking, unmoved. I'm sorry. I, I didn't know I'm a... Where are you? I can't find you here. He looked around the field, desperately searching for the area where her body resided, but the earth didn't know her, didn't recognize her physical form as part of it, didn't accept her as part of it. She approached him, moving for the very first time, Her steps were slow but certain as she neared him, reaching out a single finger in his direction. He could feel the icy touch as it pressed against his forehead, slowly drawing out an X along his skin, with a number one beneath it. Despite himself, the man bowed his head, one large hand rising to cover his face. The search code. A system used by FEMA and other rescue organizations as they were searching houses in the aftermath of the storm. 80% of the houses in New Orleans would find themselves scarred with its insignia. An X was shorthand in each quadrant. The leftmost quadrant denoting the rescue squad that searched the premises. The top quadrant notating the time and date of the search. The right quadrant designating the hazards found within. And the bottom quadrant memorializing the number of bodies that were retrieved. The man slowly lifted his tear-filled eyes, looking into the brown ones that stared so solemnly back. Tell me what you need me to do, 
I'll do it. The little girl stared at him for several long seconds before her mud-caked arm slowly rose, pointing towards the field. That's not yours. You're not supposed to touch that. That was when he could see them. All of them. Almost a hundred of them. Muddied, battered, drenched, broken, waterlogged spirits that were lost. Souls that had not been given a proper funeral, rites, and burial. Human beings that had found themselves unclaimed or unwanted. That were still searching for a place of rest but unable to find peace. The man's eyes slowly turned back towards the girl and for the first time she gave a slow, measured blink. The scowl she'd worn had melted away. Now those large eyes only spoke of sadness the sides of her mouth tightening in an attempt not to cry. No longer the stoic guardian of the dead here, just a lost little girl trying to find her way home. A little girl that had been killed, not just by the storm, but also by the very system of government that now sought to pave over the place she'd attempted to find rest. As everyone knew by now, it was the breaking of the levees, a man-made, government-run construct that caused the city to flood, that took the lives of over 1,500 people, not just the storm. The man looked around, taking in the sight of the spirits that surrounded him, watching him, compelling him. He looked back at the child, reaching down to gently lift the silk-wrapped bone before him once again. This doesn't belong to you, does it? Your remains, they're not here, are they? You, all of you, are just searching for your final resting place. A place that will accept you when no other would. And here it is. A simple potter's field. A place for the unaccounted, unwanted, and unidentified. You feel this is where you belong. The only place you could possibly call home. She didn't respond. But the lost sadness in her eyes conveyed her answer. Her hand lifted a small finger pointing towards the earth, commanding him to sink the item back into the soil where it belonged, so that at least one other soul might know peace this evening. His gaze followed her gesture, her request ringing like a funeral dirge in his head. Reaching forward, he set his fingernails firmly into the earth and pulled Rich dirt dug beneath his nails as he clawed once, twice, again and again, ripping up the grass and the mud to form a shallow hole. Taking up the bone carefully, he set it into the soil before shoving the turf over it, gently packing it down with the press of his hands. Looking up, he saw the spectral congregation had now dissipated. All that remained now was the child that stood before him, watching him. Everything in him wished that he could reach out to her, that he could take her into his arms or hold her small hands in reassurance. Instead, he brushed the dirt from his hands and from his knees as he slowly rose to his feet. Thank you for being willing to speak with me tonight. For what happened to you, it should never have been. I wish there was some way I could... I can't go back and fix this, but I promise you, all of you, I will do everything in my power to ensure this area you've claimed as your final resting place remains sacred ground. I swear, I will help you find your way out of the storm.
Plans and excavation for the bus stop ceased. Locals said that for the very first time in quite a while, the cemetery was completely still. No more phantom shades being spotted wandering the premises. No more groans or surprising cries issuing forth in the evening. Instead, local politicians presented a new idea for the usage of the area. A memorial for the victims of Hurricane Katrina. Visitors are now welcome to explore the cemetery, and if you ever find yourself in New Orleans, we highly recommend that you do so. There you will now find that the potter's field has been given an additional layer of earth to protect those that resided below its surfaces from the ravages of nature. Above that, a sidewalk path has been created in the form of a hurricane. The concrete arms wide and outstretched to form the outer bands of the monster storm, circling spiraling, conjuring visitors to wander amongst the engraved stone that now gives testimony to the legacy of this location. And as you wander through the cemetery, taking in the final resting place of up to 150,000 souls, we encourage you to take a seat on one of the stone benches at the very heart of it all, in the eye of the hurricane, amongst several large tombs, that now hold the remains of those that were lost during Hurricane Katrina that were never identified or claimed. We ask that you sit with them, hear their stories, stand witness to the lives they left behind, hold their memories close, and carry their shadows with you, lest one day they too should also be forgotten. This episode was written by Angela Davis Cooling, directed and performed by Zach Meyer and Orion Cooling. Production manager is Angela Davis Cooling. Associate producer is Sarah Perry. Soundscaping and engineering by Zach Meyer. Guest vocals by Angela Davis Cooling. Matt Calhoun. Also by Emma Calandres. Tarot consultation provided by Lisa Tusty of Phoenix Fire Tarot. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to support our work, become a Patreon of the podcast and gain exclusive content. This month, our patrons are receiving a special glimpse into the world of tarot and the symbolism used on this episode. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash shadowcarriers. If you'd like to buy our storytellers a drink, you can donate to our Venmo at shadowcarriers. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay connected and up-to-date to our upcoming episodes. And most importantly, if you've enjoyed your time with us today, please consider subscribing to Shadow Carriers and leaving a review on your podcast provider. As a small podcast, your reviews and subscriptions really help us grow our listener base and influence the mysterious and chaotic spirits known as algorithms. We've served you these stories for a peek to the other side, but as you leave us, we wish you fair fair winds winds and following skies. skies.